This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me recording this, as always, from my home in Brooklyn, where I'm going to be doing it for, I guess, the rest of my life. Um, but it's not so bad. Sometimes I get to talk to W. Kamau Bell, who's also apparently at his home. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you. The last time I talked to you, we were in an actual studio. Um, <laughs> I think that was slightly more pleasant. Um, some things are the same. Some things are different. I won't ask you how you're doing, because I think you're probably tired of that question. I have a variation on it, though. Are you tired? Are you tired of explaining systemic racism to people like me? No, no. Actually, I've I really... I, something clicked over the last couple of weeks that, like, that's actually literally part of my job. Like, I get paid to do that <laughs> by, by several sources. Sometimes it's CNN. Sometimes it's colleges and universities. Uh, sometimes I just stand on stand-up stages and say what I want to say about it. So I feel like I'm the person who should be taking these questions. <laughs> so, so you don't ask the black guy at work or the black guy on the subway if subways are still a thing. I haven't been in New York in a while. Uh, they are technically still a thing. I have not stepped foot in one since, yeah. since mid-March. <laughs> and and I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm going to try to keep avoiding them as long as I can because the plan seems to be like cross your fingers and hope it all works out. Yes, yes, yes. Hope it goes away is currently the plan we're on. That's the, that's the national plan. That's the national plan. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little more focused in other areas. But even in like California where we were like ahead of the curve, it sort of has shifted into just seems like it should go away eventually. It's been long enough. I've, I've done bad podcasting hosting here, so I'll back up. Um, if for some reason you're two minutes into this interview and you don't know who W. Kamau Bell is, he is a comedian, he's a podcaster, he's a television personality. Can I call you an activist? Are you comfortable with being called an activist? I mean, I accept it. I wouldn't call myself an activist, but I accept it. I accept it. And we can currently find you, I guess in a few weeks, we'll be able to find you back on CNN on a regular basis, right? Yes, that, um, unless the world changes for a third time. Yes, I'll be back on CNN. Fourth, fifth season? Mm -hmm. Uh, fifth season and going into the fifth season, which is the TV Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Um, back to the, the moment at hand, and we'll, we'll talk more about TV right now. H how do you think the media broadly, and it means a lot of things right now, has done covering uh, everything that's happened since Memorial Day? I mean, broadly, it's hard to know. It's, am I, do I know enough of the media to know broadly? <laughs> well, we can, we can, how about the media you're consuming? First of all, what are you consuming? I mean, I'm a very much an, uh, I don't know if agnostic is the right word, but I just sort of take it where I can get it. And I don't have a problem sort of getting it from multiple sources. And, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot. So if somebody shares an article and I trust them, I'll read that article, you know. So I certainly 
a lot of this has to do with the fact that I work at CNN. CNN owns a lot because CNN is on a lot because I just sort of like to know what is happening there. And also I get asked to be on CNN a lot. So I feel like I'd like to know what they said before I went on. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I need to address anything. But um, I mean, it feels like we're having a really big conversation about systemic racism for the like the, the most advanced one in my lifetime. And I know people who live during the civil rights era who's like, yeah, it's different than it was then. I still don't know if I trust it because if if it if we get a vaccine tomorrow, I think a lot of this conversation goes away. Yeah, I I think about that a lot. I think about the fact that sort of why George Floyd's killing leapt off the leapt off the screen in the way it did, and the way that other killings haven't, the way that subsequent killings haven't. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like it's maybe as simple as it's Memorial Day in the third month of the pandemic, and we're just all consuming a ton of media. Is it? Do you think it's that simple? I think it's that simple. I think I do think it's that simple. I think, you know, I don't like, I, yes, George Floyd's killing was horrible, but I don't think I want to rank it as being more horrible than any other than Eric Garner or John Crawford, who was shot in the back in a Walmart. You know, I just think that like all these killings are horrible and some killings may even look worse, but they just didn't get the attention because whatever. But I think we were all at home. Those of us who take in the news, we're all at home watching the news because we're watching the body count of the coronavirus. And then suddenly they push that out of the way to show this. And I think the difference is black folks would have seen that at some point, you know, and black activists certainly would have seen it. But I think white people would have heard about it. But unless they were really deeply involved in anti-racism work, they would have heard about it and then not wanted to see it, you know. But now, because you're already sort of riveted to the news, whatever news it was, you saw it many times. My memory is addled for a bunch of reasons, but the way I recall the first couple days, sort of Memorial Day and the first couple days after, in my mediaverse, we were all focused on Amy Cooper mm -hmm. and the birding incident and her dog and Christian yeah. Cooper. Yeah. And that's the video I watched. I didn't want to see George Floyd killed. Um, yeah. And that one I was I was kind of riveting in its own way um, yeah. and shocking to me and in a way I'm sure you're not shocked by. But my thought was, wow, this is a woman and I didn't know what she did at the time, but she's clearly comfortable in New York. She looks like a lot of people I've seen walking in out of Soul Cycle, and she seems unwell. I don't want to diagnose her, but I thought, wow, regardless of how unwell or well she is, the fact that she could readily call upon racism as a threat because she was upset about her dog was shocking to me. And that was sort of my shock for the first couple of days. And George Floyd didn't show up in my world for several days after that. And I don't know what, what to make of that. It's just, it's interesting to me. It, I, I, the timeline, I, my memory of it is that that happened before and and then the George Floyd happened. That's my. Now see, this is all again. I'm, we're all. I think. I think you're right. I think. I think Amy Cooper was Sunday and George Floyd was Monday. But it was yeah. still a couple days of. Did you see that video? Oh my and god! I, as a comedian, I would say what a sort of what a appropriate opening act for George Floyd, I guess, because you already have people's conversation around that and the debate around that. Because many white people were like, "Well, why was he?" What was he, you know, even white people who quote unquote are the good white folks, because <laughs> like, I, I I know we're in a podcast, but I did the quotation fingers. We heard it. Uh, yeah. OK. Uh, but there's sort of like room for debate there, but it's a great way to start the conversation. And then when George Floyd is killed on camera, really the same techniques of white supremacy are being utilized in both. Uh, Amy Cooper saying, I'm going to call the cops and tell them that you're that a black man is threatening me. 
you know, is what she said. And that cop was basically using the techniques of white supremacy as a cop. I have the right to do to you whatever I want to. So there's a connection there. It's just Christian Cooper was lucky that the cops didn't show up or she didn't really call the cops, you know, because, you know, because we've seen plenty of footage of New York cops also going off on people. And so I think it was a good, like I said, they are connected. So as a professional media maker, media consumer, it seems extraordinary that, that we're two weeks into this. Do you think, I mean, you just said, you think, you know, we're a vaccine away, we're something away from moving on from this. Somewhere on the cynicism to skepticism line, like, how are you thinking about like, all right, we know inevitably we can't keep this energy up. People will inevitably become more interested in other things. How are you thinking about sort of taking this moment and pushing it forward in a way in a way that it does sustain? Well, I mean, I, as sad as it is, I think the, the, the movement got more energy after the killing of Rashard Brooks in Atlanta. Like, as sad as that is, that it takes it. But I think, because I was sort of like, it's been two weeks, it's almost three weeks. And I don't blame anybody for being like, I've protested enough after three weeks. And when that happened, it sort of like started the engine up again. And it's also Atlanta, which is a very proud, strong, upwardly mobile black city. Mm-hmm. So a city of people who can who can make things happen and and black people's voices are respected and has a strong mayor and Keisha Lance Bottoms. So I think that sadly that energizes the movement. But, you know, for me, the thing that I'm seeing that gives me some hope, like last night I was uh, watching a like a live thread of a city council meeting in Berkeley, uh, you know, Berkeley, California, the quote unquote most liberal place in the universe. And. They were talking about during the public comment, everybody was talking about defund the Berkeley Police Department. Now, the Berkeley Police Department does not have the reputation of the LAPD or the NYPD or the cops in Ferguson. And yet the people of Berkeley were like, we need to defund this police department, too. And so that's the thing that I think leads to change is that the energy that is in the streets goes into local politics. And that's the thing I think is possibly going to happen because the abolitionist and the defund the police movement has been working on this for years. So there's not like, it's not like they don't have a plan or talking points or, or a strategy. Have you thought back to the Me Too movement, which is now three-ish years old, nearly three years old, and sort of looked at what happened then and how that conversation has and hasn't continued and, and thought if any of that's applicable to, to what's happening now? I mean, I think, I don't, I, it's funny. I think some people think the Me Too conversation is maybe it's shifted, but I don't think it's gone. I think that maybe it's not always hashtagged that way. I mean, really, the Black Lives Matter conversation wasn't as active as it was until this, but the activists are still doing the work. You know, and I think just recently, uh, just last night, I saw a comic go down in a, what is probably not going to be framed as a Me Too moment. But it's definitely a part of that movement. Yes, you know, so. I, I think it will also be uh, tagged uh, Me Too. And if you if you search Chris Delia. Uh, yes. You'll, you'll yes. learn more. And it's it's Twitter, so I don't know what's real, what isn't uh, so far. I mean, but it, but I definitely think the energy behind that is part of the Me Too movement, you know. So I think, the, but I, I just think that we're not, you know, whether it's named that, whether it's, you know, whether it's how it's framed, I think that, the, you know, as we say, keep that same energy. That same energy is there. So like I told you, the last night I was watching you on Conan, I guess it was last week's episode or an episode you did last week where it's the entire half hour, uh, you and him having conversations. It's like this, but with a more famous white guy uh, and much richer uh, in a nicer house. Um, and it was extraordinary for a bunch of reasons, but I, uh, the main one I was thinking about was I just can't remember a moment where you'd have a nationally televised conversation in which 
a, a well-off white guy saying, help me, help us, but as you pointed out, he meant white people, uh, <laughs> figure out what to do next and was totally earnest and there wasn't a joke. And I almost don't have a question. I mean, it's, it's almost extraordinary just to see it. I can't imagine that continues. I mean, just about everyone I know is wants to do something things somewhere. And that's also the energy I'm sort of thinking about, you know, where does that go six months from now, a year from now? I mean, I, I, I think we are going through some sort of like cultural shift as far as because the pandemic has sort of put us in our houses. And also used, we're used to seeing a lot of media now in ways we wouldn't have, like before you would have turned off that Conan interview when you're like, he's in his house. He, that guy's in his house. The mics aren't that good. <laughs> you just would have been like, let me just, let me just turn this off. But I do think that some of this stuff is going to stick around even after the vaccine, because I think the media and people who watch the media are learning that they have a bigger, broader appetite than they thought they had. And for me, sitting there talking to Conan, I can't help but think about like all the YouTube clips I've seen from like the 60s and 70s. And I'm not comparing myself to him at all, but like James Baldwin on like the Dick Cavett show, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, back when there were these long form conversations that were a little bit funny, but also were real conversations, you know, so I... There, there. You know, you'd see Malcolm X on these like sort of public affairs shows that you were like, you're like, why would he even say yes to this? You know, so yeah. That I do think there was an appetite for that, and maybe we forgot because as, as content got shorter and more punchy and more and trying to be more viral, you lose that. But when they called me up to do Conan, it was the day before. I'd done Conan once. And, you know, the regular way, the old school way. Mm-hmm. And but they, I talked to the this, this producer and he was like, yeah, they, we, Conan just wants to have a conversation. And by the nature of the fact that it was in my house, I was like, I have these conversations all the time. But Conan didn't get in the way of the conversation, the way that talk show hosts are trained to get in the way of these conversations. We live in a fractured media universe. Um, and so it's entirely possible that, that, that I'm missing a lot of it. But I was waiting for the conservative backlash in the wake of George Floyd. Well, wasn't there this extenuating circumstance? How come that? Why don't this? And I saw little bits of it. And yeah, do you, you don't you don't watch Tucker Carlson? Uh, I, I get enough of him in my Twitter feed, so I know, <laughs> I know it's out there. But I, I, I like I remember after Ferguson, people in my extended family saying, "Well, she shouldn't have this and that, and yes, they shouldn't have done that, but also he's culpable." Is there just something about you think that video that is is just unassailable and you just can't argue with it that has prevented that? Or maybe it's all going on and I'm, I'm just not seeing it. I think some of that is certainly going on. I think some of those people show up at the protests in ways where you're like, that doesn't look like a person who's mad about George Floyd's murder. That looks like, you know, so I think some of that is going on. But I also think, again, we're never going to know how many people watched it versus how many people watched other videos of black people being brutalized by police. I do think that some of those can, some of those people who would normally be, the sort of in that universe of right wing stuff, seeing that it is hard to it's hard to come up with an argument against it. And even though they have I've seen I have seen memes of like, well, he was he had a criminal record and he served time in prison. And and I've seen those things and because I've actually clicked on them and be like, oh, I didn't know this. And you read through. Oh, but he's got out of prison and became like a good guy. You know, like, it's like he actually did the thing you're supposed to do with prison. You right. rehabilitate yourself and become a good person, you know, so. I've seen that stuff, but I think it's hard to take on any traction, especially when you can't sort of you can't take out how much Minneapolis meant to this. You know, Minneapolis is a very it's 
it's got a lot of diversity, even if there's not a lot of those people there. There's a lot of diversity in Minneapolis. And it's got a strong history of like people coming together and, and hanging out with each other. You know, the patron saint being Prince, of course. And so I, 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 I grew up there. It was, uh, it was, it was Hubert Humphrey before that okay. uh, in, yeah, in so the very old days. Things have changed. But, but yeah. there's sort of a, there's sort of a, almost a, in the same way that like, even though San Francisco is now tech capital world, there's still a, a hint of like, let your freak flag fly that comes yeah. through every now and again. Yeah. Part of it's just uh, geography. There's just nothing in between Minneapolis and Seattle. So if you grow up anywhere <laughs> in like the six or seven states around there and you want to get out and see people who don't look exactly like you or yeah. do anything fun, you, you go there. And I think that to have the chief of police be a black man who very quickly was like, this was wrong. We have to get, we have to, you know, I, I'm criticizing the cops being wanting them to be wanting to help them get charged, basically like pushing the, yeah. pushing the button on that, that that changes. It's hard to sort of that blue lives matter narrative becomes harder to push when the head of the police there is going, no, 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 this is wrong. We don't want to do this. Um, there's no good segue for this. Uh, in Great. terms of, of, of seeing stuff that shocks you, uh, back to the Amy Cooper video, that was the first described, I think Christian Cooper's sister put it up there and described the woman as a Karen. Um, <laughs> and I knew about Karens from my kids who mm-hmm. told me, well, Karens have soccer mom haircuts and they're anti-vaxxers. This is their version of a Karen. Yeah. And now Karen is a is pretty much, and now Kevin, I guess, as well, is just some kind of racist threatening to call the cops. Are you watching any of these Karen videos popping up all over Instagram and Twitter? Yeah, I've been accused of being married to a Karen. So I can, ah. yes, I, <laughs> I do pay attention to those videos <laughs> because I need to, also I need my wife to watch them. Just, hey, just check this out. Don't do any of these things, which you would never do. Uh, but yeah, so I I do watch those because I can laugh at those quite heartily. And also, it's helpful to then, those Karen videos are a great intro into the conversation with white people who aren't ready for the George Floyd discussion. Like the one, the recent one, which the Karen, her name is Lisa, uh, in San Francisco, where the guy was uh, chalking Black Lives Matter yeah, yeah. On, his, on his own retaining wall. And she told him it was wrong because she knew who lived in the house. And he was like, oh, you know who lives in the house? <laughs> so, and she was very, you know, at her full height. I mean, she, as people said, she looks like a character from Get Out. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous how how sort of strong and tall and how condescending and, pat- and patronizing she seems as she tells him not to paint on his own retaining wall. I find so many of them striking. And again, you know, you're in some ways famous for your own Karen incident where you got shooed yeah. away <laughs> yeah. from your wife was, at a, was, at a it cafe. Proto, it was proto-Karen, proto-Karen, yeah. But it was definitely, it was, it was a white woman who told me to leave. In Berkeley. In Berkeley, in Berkeley, in, Ber- yes. in Berkeley, yes. you guys, you guys can Google it. Um, but again, all of those, I keep thinking, boy, that woman looks crazy, or that woman looks drunk, and then sometimes that woman just looks exasperated, or they didn't even catch her on a bad day. That's just who she is. And and again, I'm still sort of struck by, I've seen black men and women killed by the police, and I don't shrug them off, but I'm. Not in Europe, but something I can't find the right adjective because I'm a writer. Uh, but watching the women do this, mostly women in just sort of casual everyday uh, circumstance, really sort of throws me. I mean, I think that black people are really excited about these videos and excited to when when you know when a Karening is happening, you can sort of feel the person like, let me get my phone out. <laughs> I'm being Karen because we've been dealing with those women for our entire lives. Because I think the thing about it being a woman is that. With a man, it might get more physical or it might be more aggressive if he's going to actually correct your behavior. 
And that becomes sort of like if two people are being aggressive with each other, it's hard to tell who's who. Mm-hmm. who. But with that, there's just an underlying like I'm in charge of you. And no one's bumping chest. So it's not it's not it's not yeah, that yeah. thing. It's just no. look, you we all know that you we all know that we all know that I outrank you. Yeah. You know, we all know that like I, that I'm the as I say, the assistant manager of the world. And I'm here to correct your behavior. And and the thing about it, pro, a lot of those, a lot of those are Democrats. I think that's the other thing. It's like this is not some sort of right wing behavior. A lot of those Obama voters who would have voted who would have voted for him for a third time, as people say. And the underlying thing is like, I know I'm not a racist. So if I'm critical of you, it must be you because I'm not a racist. There is a one of those that has someone who looks a lot like my mom or reminds me <laughs> of my mom. And I'm not quite clear what happened, but apparently there's a traffic incident. And then at some point she must use the N-word because there, she's being then trailed to the police station by the black woman holding the camera. And the woman knows she has screwed up at this point, but she's mm-hmm. locked into it. She's like, oh, mm-hmm. I just got to go. And can't you just leave me alone? I just want everyone to get along. Yeah. I've been watching the vi- I'm doing all the right things, and I'm sorry I slipped up in this terrible way, but please, just stop. No, and, it's too late. And yeah, it's too late. And again, I, I don't know, it says a lot about me, I guess, but I, I, I have empathy for that woman. I mean, I think, it, I think that's great that you have empathy for her. Now go get her and talk to her. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's, I, I think your empathy is actually sort of well-founded and, I think that's one thing we need is for white people to feel like they are connected to other white people, even the ones they don't know, the same way that black people feel like we're connected to every black person on the planet, even the ones we don't know. You know, especially especially black Americans feel like we're connected to every black American. Like, like I see Rashard Brooks. I'm like, I don't know him, never met him, but I'm like, oh, damn it. You know, and I think white people, the reason why these caring things keep happening is because white women who are in the middle of it aren't thinking about the other Karens out there, even though they've watched those videos and probably made fun of those women. But they go, well, I'm I'm an individual. It's supposed to go, I'm another white woman who's correcting a black person's behavior. There's one I saw, again, kind of looks like my mom with, a, with <laughs> an accent, and I think it's an Asian person uh, holding the video. And the woman's saying, I don't care about your Facebooks and your Instagram. She knows yeah. what's happening. And yeah, again, yeah. I, think, I think she's kind of locked in at that point. Like she yeah. has to go down that path. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, again, it's like, I don't care about that because I'm not those people. I'm an individual and I know I'm right. And I know I'm not racist. So you can put me up because people are going to see me and see that I was right, which, cause, and that's, again, it's delusion as opposed to, as you know, when people say Rashard Brooks, like, why did he run away? Cause he'd seen a lot of black guys get killed by cops. And, and he's also apparently inebriated. So it's like when you're not making your best decisions. And I'm sure there's a moment of that where you panic, like, he definitely, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing he saw the George Floyd video. And this cop is putting cuffs on him, and he's, and who knows what's going through his head. But I, in my mind would be like, oh, no, I'm about to die. There's a chance I'm going to die or get hurt or get beaten up. And if he's inebriated, he's not in his best thinking state. But we all know if a guy is asleep in his car drunk, there's a lot of different things you can do that will not end up on him being dead that would help him. I'm just pausing. Yeah. Um, how do, your day job is comedian. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's still. It's on my, I think I write that on my tax forms. Yeah. And I'm sort of like, ah. what? It, what? It, what? It, what are you going to do with this? I mean, I mean we talked the last time we talked. We talked about the fact that you're kind of known for talking about race, and it's not mm-hmm. 
100% of what you do. I think you said it's 15% of what I do on, on stage. But how, how are you thinking about what's happening now moving into your work? I mean, I think that for me, I'm the conduit to get you from, I don't understand why this is happening, to talk to these people over here. Like, I feel like I'm the conduit to, the, to more information. I think on United Shades of America, I'm the conduit. I'm sort of playing the role of the audience a lot of times. Although sometimes I'm very clearly like, I have an opinion about this and I want you to know what I think. But I'm the conduit to get you to the right information as far as I'm concerned. Like I don't uh, and the way I do that is because it's funny or it's a little bit funny or it's personal or it's or I start crying. You know, I think for me, it's just about like expressing whatever emotions I feel at the time. And I think at my on a basic level, a lot of this stuff, even when it's painful, makes me laugh because it's so absurd. And I think that that's a response that all oppressed groups have, which is why oppressed groups usually end up being the funniest groups of comedians in, a, in any given country, because they're like being squeezed so hard. And so for me, I do like when I get in these really deep level conversations, sometimes I will say, isn't it funny that I'm a college dropout who wanted to be a stand up comedian because of Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live? Like, you know, just to remind almost to remind myself, you're not James Baldwin. Slow down. Like. I can tell you what I've read, what I've seen, what my experience is. And I can tell you people who are smarter than me, who you can go do some research and talk to them. But I don't want, but I always have to sort of make sure I'm not searing myself. I'm not Ta-Nehisi Coates. We're going to take a very quick break so we can hear from an excellent Recode Media sponsor. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And we're back with W. Kamau Bell. I'm, I'm assuming you, you have not done uh, any live comedy uh, in some time. Um, <laughs> in when, my house. When you, when you can do it again, do you think this is just, you? this is topic A, you've got to go right at it, or... I mean, yeah, I think, okay, let's say a vaccine comes out tomorrow and it's 100% and we all and we all feel like we can do go back to our normal lives and I and I just book a show and do a show. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think whether it's the first thing that comes out of my mouth, it's definitely in the set somewhere because also I know there's this weird thing, like people expect me to talk about it because of what I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's what, it's what the, it's on some level people come to me for. It's like, I feel like, if you do 30 minutes on ice cream, I'm like, mm, that's not what yeah, I Yeah, no, for. it better be a real good metaphor. <laughs> yeah. It better be like, oh, I see the layers and the levels. 31 here. flavors. Yeah, yeah. So uh, inclusion. But I think that, yeah, it's definitely like there's two things I talk about at this point. It's either current events race through the lens of like uh, race and racism and other isms or my family. And usually it ends up being through the lens of race and racism. So I don't think I can't imagine. And I sit here 
sort of spinning sometimes like, oh, that would be funny. Or like I sent out a tweet the other day that was like, this is a thing I would do on stage if I was on stage right now. What did you think of uh, Chappelle's thing that was out last week? I mean, I thought it was funny to me. I was on Twitter when it broke and just to see people just tweeting Dave Chappelle with nothing behind, just like people were freaking out. And so once I figured out what it was, I, you know, I think the thing that that makes Dave such a cultural icon and bigger than being a famous stand-up comedian is that the way he's thinking about it is always a few steps ahead. And he has the talent and skill to pull things off other comedians can't pull off. So even if he does jokes that I don't that I don't agree with or think like I wouldn't say that, I'm still always sort of awed by the fact that like he's pulling off a thing that most people couldn't do. And so in the middle of this pandemic, when every stand-up comedian is like strategizing, how do I get back on stage again? What would I look like? And then also on some level, sort of going, oh, it'd be great if I could do a thing where everybody's getting their 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 temperature taken and they're wearing masks and it'll look like like people thought comics thought we had like six months to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so just sort of like checkmate every other stand-up comic. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. And by putting on there, it's been 87 days since he'd been on stage, whatever it was, he's automatically going, don't expect this to be a finished product. And so on some level, I thought Dave Chappelle has the ability to make Netflix put up a comedy special that is unfinished on YouTube, which nobody knew that was a thing. And at the end of the day, this is basically like the most famous podcast ever produced. Yeah. What did you think of the actual setup? I mean, he's out. I'm just, I can't believe that you're listening to this and haven't seen it. But in case you haven't, he's doing it apparently in a field. He seems to be like an open air amphitheater. Yeah. Everyone's distance. There's there's couples sitting. Yeah, they're together. only sitting. There's, only two couples are like only yeah, pairs yeah. are sitting together. They've got they've got branded masks. Uh, yeah. yeah. It seems like whatever version of normal we get back to isn't going to be normal, which means that probably a comedy club or wherever you've been performing isn't going to be normal. How are you thinking about what that will be like to do live things in a different setting? I mean, I feel pretty fortunate that that's not my like, I don't have to go back early. Like there are comics are starting to tour right now. I was just last night looking on uh, on some comedian's website and I was like, they're playing Arizona now. Like I, my wife and my family would be like, yeah, you're canceling that show. So there are comics who, because that's how they make their money, they are going out and touring right now in places that are sort of doing like, you know, it's like have like partial seating. Mm-hmm. And there's like the every comedy club has a list that are open, has a list of like the staff is is doing this and we're cleaning. And I was like, I spent a lot of time in comedy clubs. Cleanliness is not usually the number one thing they're known for. <laughs> like, no, so, like, I also on the audience side. None of yeah. that sounds fun. That does not yeah. sound like a fun night out. I get that you want to get out of your house. I, I have a yeah, long time it, it, to me, it sounds that. like an anxious night out. It's And and they're saying we're only sitting, because the comedy clubs, usually they'll sit people at tables where they don't know each other. So it was like, we'll sit people. You won't sit with anybody other than who you're with. And I'm like, do the germs know that? Like, I just don't understand. So for me, I feel fortunate that, you know, I have a couple more seasons of United Shades that I get to do. You know, a lot of the gigs I used to do live, they're like now saying, well, you can do them on Zoom and we'll, you know, so it's like there's just a thing that like a lot of the lectures I uh, used to do. I feel fortunate that I don't have to be the first one out there. You can wait it out a little bit. I I would not want to be in that position. I would not want to go. I would I personally would not feel comfortable going to Arizona to do stand up comedy, although I don't normally feel that comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's a comedy scene there. I don't Yeah, there is. There's good comedy clubs there. I just I think I've been there once or twice, maybe. But yeah, so I just think that like 
I think stand-up comedy, I mean, think big touring arena acts who sort of need to play. They can't play a half-full arena. They need to sell out the whole arena. I don't know when we get back to that. Or if or if we get back to that, you know. Yeah, or or the, you know, my version of comedy is a small place where everyone's jammed yeah. in together. And I, yeah, I don't want to do that either. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I think that it's, there is going to be a, a natural evolution here that I don't think we, like, to me, it's great that the big comic to break out of this moment isn't somebody with a special, it's Sarah Cooper doing the lip sync Trump videos, and I'm like, that's the, evo- she's a funny, she, that's the evolution, like, how and, can you do, how can I do something relevant and funny and instant in my house? And we've been waiting for that sort of breakout thing to happen, I mean, there's the super dumb versions of it on YouTube, but she sort of has elevated it. It's, it's really Yeah, because I think she's clearly funny. It's not like, I mean, even her yeah. tweets where she's not doing that is like, this is a writer. This is not somebody who's just sort of like taking this lightly. Do you know anything about her? I mean, I know a little bit about her. Do you think, do you think like she will always be doing the pantomime or do you think she has to stop doing that at some point and go, no, I do more than lip sync? I mean, I think it's like currently it's the hit single. So you got to play the hit single <laughs> until, mm-hmm. you, until you write another song, you know. And I, but I do think that having followed her for a while now, she's funny without the without the pantomime. And, and you know, that will evolve into something else. But I think that like my hope, because she's a woman of color, a woman and a woman of color, is that Hollywood looks at her as more than just the pantomime person. I think that that's the thing that it becomes a little bit like. Are you just going to try to squeeze this for the next year of pantomimes? Or are you going to invest in her in the long term? And that's that's as, as much connected to this white supremacy conversation as anything else. Like this woman of color is sort of emerging in this moment. Are you going to help her last beyond the moment? Or are you just going to squeeze what she can get out of this moment? Maybe both. I mean, I, I hope it's both. And I, you know, I, yeah, because yeah, as a dad who's got three kids and a wife, I look at I'm always looking at both sides of this. Like, that's really funny. Do you have a good agent? You know, that's I, that's powerful art you're putting out. Does your manager call you back when you call them? <laughs> like, so like that's I'm I'm looking at both sides. I keep thinking, boy, it'd be weird if she's not on SNL. But then there's actually no reason to think that what she does would transfer necessarily to I mean, SNL. I, think, I don't tell. know. How, I, I actually think it's like she's clearly a good writer knows how to play characters. I mean, the fact is, nobody would look at her and go, that's Trump, you know? Mm-hmm. And for my money, it's like, just make her, the, make her the person who plays Trump on SNL. I think that that becomes about the imagination of this institution. And again, this is all connected to white supremacy. And it's like, like I said, I'm Conan. People get scared by that. But like, L- Lauren Michaels is an old white guy. And so whatever, it's about his imagination for SNL on some level or somebody's ability to sell him on a new thing. I remember they did a video on SNL of Leslie Jones auditioning for Trump. Uh, it was a, it was a whole like sort of like, she's like, I'm going uh-huh. to start, I'm going to play, I want to, I want to play Trump on the show. And I thought that's brilliant. Nothing would be a better attack on Trump than a, than a black woman speaking, pretending to be him, especially Leslie Jones, a powerful black woman. But the sketch was like, bah, 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 bah. that's not going to happen. I was like, that's, but that's what should happen. She's that, also, I mean, yeah, she, I that's also funnier think than it, Alec Baldwin doing Trump, you know, it, I mean? would, it would be good. I, but I also, I, I've thought about her a lot this year because her Netflix special came out and I only knew her from SNL and she's funny on SNL, but I didn't know how amazing a standup she was. And obviously yeah. she's been doing it for decades. That's mm-hmm. how you can make the, that performance. And, you know, SNL isn't the place to showcase that kind of, that kind of comedy. Yeah, SNL has never been super great for standup comics. 
it's better for sketch performance. Let me take a hard right back to, to yeah. uh, <laughs> uncomfortable conversations before I, before I let you go. Yeah, the, um, the breaking news of this will be like, W. Kamal Bell <laughs> critiques SNL. <laughs> we'll get our clicks that way. Um, defunding the police, white supremacy, white supremacists. Again, in the, in the Conan conversation, you asked Conan whether he thought America was was run by i think you i think you said is it is it a white supremacist structure i think is what run, you said. yeah run on built on and run on white supremacy I think and, and he was struggling with it and hemming and hawing and then you sort of made it easier for him and explained what you meant and i'm thinking about all of this because uh, also because one of your tweets where you're sort of explaining what defund the police actually meant i do think a lot about a lot of what you're seeing activists talk about and protesters talk about and it gets surfaced up through Twitter and gets to TV and it, it becomes lots of different things. And even I'm struggling to talk about it, but I'm wondering how you think about language and how we define things, how we explain things. A lot, I'm, one of the mo- things that I'm surprised about in this moment is how quickly a big chunk of, again, my world that had never been talking about anti-racism snapped right into it and seemed to understand it. And maybe they'd always known about it for years and they were just showing up. But I think I always think a lot about someone who is watching Fox News and sees defund the police and understandably goes, well, I like police. We should have police. Right. (laughs) Um, And then you hear from the defund people saying, no, no, we don't really mean get rid of all police. But actually, sometimes we do. And so all this stuff gets nuanced and complicated. And I'm wondering, as a professional communicator, how, how you think about getting those ideas across. Well, so for me, this all comes from like be, being able to be around people. A lot of this comes from the Bay Area who have these sort of more quote unquote radical ideas. And so I often find myself in rooms with people where I feel like I hope they don't know I work at CNN or, CNN or they may ask me to leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like <laughs> as much as Fox News thinks it's left leaning, that's not what people in the Bay Area think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and CNN knows I say that. So let's <laughs> be clear, like. But I find myself in these conversations, and so there's a woman named Kat Brooks who ran for mayor of Oakland at one point, and she is part of a thing called the Anti-Police Terror Project, and I met her like three or four years ago. And I, I was like, the Anti-Police Terror Project, oh, slow down, <laughs> like you know, like let's let's all, you know, and I'm somebody who was raised by a militant and a radical. I'm like, hey, let's all keep it easy, and and then to, and she was the first person who I ever heard say defund the police, and I, a black guy who is afraid of police, was like, that seems like too much. But then when you get led through the argument and you also go, why am I afraid of the word defund? It's not burn the police. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not beat the police. It's defund. Like, why? Are, like, I think that's a part of it. That's not even a word we is in common usage is defund. So when you and so I take that and I go, oh, and so when this and so that's I've been listening to this conversation for three or four years from Kat and the people she works with. And then you get to like this moment and suddenly it's like everybody's saying it. I have the knowledge I got from Kat. And then. I have this woman in my life named uh, Kate Schatz, who I talked about on Conan, mm-hmm. who's a white woman who has been deeply invested in anti-racist work. And I called her before I did Conan and was like, you are a white person who knows how to talk to these white people. What would you have me say to someone of Conan's privilege? And we talked for five minutes. And it was like this thing of like taking these ideas, and that's why I say that I'm the conduit, and sort of connecting them and then putting them to Conan. And so I feel like, if anything, to me, the language around this is about surrounding yourself with not only just articles, because articles, but conversations in your life that are not comfortable for you. But I, rem- I remember this when Black Lives Matter first surfaced as a hashtag yeah. and an idea, and people, you know, you immediately got to know all lives matter, and what I don't understand that <laughs> blue lives and, matter, and 
And I do, when defund came up, I thought, oh, I, I think I know what you're talking about, but boy, I don't think this is a good idea. I think it's it's going to hurt Joe Biden and, and other candidates. And beyond that, I just think it's counterproductive. I think it's, you're going to shut people off who are up for hearing what you have to say, but if they think you mean you're getting rid of police, they're going to think you're, you're nuts mm-hmm. or worse. Is there an argument for making a provocative thing that you know is not going to get interpreted correctly on the first gulp? I think, but I think that black people tried to make it less provocative in the history. Like, you know, like I think that, like, from the moment we landed from the West Coast of Africa, we were like, hey, could we have a conversation? We, we'd like to talk to you about the accommodations. So I think there was, like, you know, like, through all of slavery and then through, um, through the end of slavery and Reconstruction. And Reconstruction was a time where it felt like white people were like, okay, you can be citizens, you can run for government, you can vote. And then suddenly they're like, wait, we don't like the way this is going, we're taking it all away. You have this Jim Crow era, separate and unequal. I think black people have always had, tried various tactics to get white institutions and white people to pay attention. I mean, to me, Martin Luther King Jr. was about hugs. Like he was, he was really, towards the end of his life, they were like, people saying he got more radical because he mm-hmm. realized hugging it out wasn't working. To me, black people are always trying to figure out how do I get your attention, white people? And it comes through, I, we have to raise the stakes. I remember the 90s. I'm old enough to remember T-shirts that said eracism. You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, you know that didn't work. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the... Uh, like the the weird posters where it's like a black hand and a white hand holding hands. And, you know, like yep. I, I, all these sort of like symbols of coming together, it didn't work. So even when I'm sometimes like, whoa, I understand that unless it becomes something that people can't turn away from, it's just, it, there's nothing in America that has proven to be effective through, can we just please talk for a minute and be polite about this? Provocation, there's a purpose to it. Well, I think it's and I think it's and even so, I think that even the idea of Black Lives Matter, you have to go. It's not actually Black Lives Matter more, but people interpret it as black. So I think a lot of it's like you're not actually looking at what your brain, your own brain is doing. If somebody says Black Lives Matter, why are you triggered by that? And I get that. I get that people are and I understand. But it's actually what's happening in your brain. It's not what's in the words. And to mm-hmm. fund the police is another thing. Like, I get why people are like, uh, but I don't. But it's not. It's not. Again, it's not. It's not what Ice Cube said. <laughs> it's not fuck the police, you know. Yeah, so, you can say that on this. I was, I, was, I, I, I dug that on on Conan. And you're like, I can't, I can't say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's and so for me, even I had to sort of look at my own thing. You're like, why am I afraid of this? And it's like because you've been trained. We have been trained as a society to not like it when black people scream out for our rights. And so right. I think that that's that's the and I so I'm not. I think it becomes Joe Biden's responsibility. Not to lead this movement, but to get behind this movement. And to respond to it, right? And engage with it. And engage with it and, and to not and to show that he's not threatened by it. And I, you know, that's and to me, he's in the most privileged position, one of the most privileged positions on the planet, and has access to all the things he needs to make this happen. So I when we start trying to treat him with kid gloves, I just think that's not that's not an effective way for us to get to liberation. Are you looking forward to a moment where I have a conversation with you, where someone has a conversation with you and, and we don't talk about structural racism? Or do you think this is this is what I got? This is what I'm doing. I mean, I think this is, you know, I'm a race car driver. <laughs> so I think that like we're going to talk about race cars. You know, I, I accept that. I do like conversations when they aren't like that. But even those conversations end up being a little bit like that. So, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, that Bruce Lee documentary came out, Be Water, in addition to this, I'm also, as I decided, America's preeminent non-Asian Bruce Lee scholar. <laughs> uh, so 
I got to do a lot of interviews about Bruce Lee that were great because it was just uh, I was like a 14 year old talking about Bruce Lee. But also Bruce Lee was an anti-racist. So we talked about that, too. But it was fun. How do we feel about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> that's, the, I, that's the next conversation we'll have. That's, uh, no, I'm happy to have that conversation. I just think my my sort of thoughts about it. I'll tell you this sort of frames how I felt about it. I waited to watch it until it was on a plane on the little screen. Because I know that's why Quentin Tarantino would not like me to see it uh-huh. <laughs> on, a, on the back of somebody's airplane seat. So I watched it. And here's the thing about Quentin Tarantino. I love a lot of what he does. Some of it, he's a great writer. You know, I, I'd watch Brad Pitt just sort of like stand on screen looking like Brad Pitt. And I'd be like, oh, something about this makes me feel tingly. So I'm not I'm not throwing off the baby with the bathwater. It's just clear that he gets in his own way around issues of race. And I'm super and that scene that had the Bruce, the Bruce Lee scene, again, quotation fingers, the Bruce Lee scene was awful. It was awful. And I and no, no matter how you frame it, well, it was an imagination or somebody telling a story, you still are putting another stereotypical image of an Asian person in the world. And you're doing it about one of the few people that Asian people can point to in mass media and go, that's one of us. He did it right. And also getting his ass kicked by the best movie star in America. Yeah, like this, yeah, it's just the whole thing was, and I heard that even Brad Pitt was like, "We gotta, we gotta tone this down." Even Brad Pitt was like, "I can't totally kick Bruce Lee's ass." Like that's not like just <laughs> like, get slammed into the car, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, like, but apparently it was it started out worse, and and so to Brad Pitt's credit, he was like, you know, Brad Pitt also a producer on um, Twelve yes. Years a Slave, so Brad Pitt has a, must have some pretty good race politics. Thank you for your time. I appreciate this. Um, I look forward to seeing you again in real life, in person someday. <laughs> that's not gonna happen. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Be well. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks again to W. Kamau Bell. Like we said, he is very much in demand, so we're very happy we could get him on. And I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, as always, thanks to Jelani, who produces this show. Thanks to Joel, who edits this show. Thanks to our sponsors, who let us bring this show to you for free. This is Recode Media. I'll be back next week with at least one episode, maybe even something special, a special bonus for you, too. See you soon.